Now I have a philosophical question for you here this morning and I need your help. I heard this, the sad story, the sad tale of a man who went on an ocean voyage and uh, he took with him a large bag of gold coins and according to the story, that was his net worth, that was everything that he owned in that bag. Now it wasn't long before a terrible storm blew up and um, the passengers on that ship were at risk of losing their life and then the call came out for everyone to abandon ship. Now the man strapped the gold around his waist and he did so hoping to save it along with himself and he jumped overboard and he sank to the bottom. So here's the question. As he was sinking, did he have the gold or did the gold have him? Did he have the gold or did the gold have him? You know, over half the parables that Jesus told had to do with money and had to do with material possessions. One out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with the same topic. Now, all of these references appear to make money the second most popular subject in the entire Bible. So why this major focus? Well, according to the experts, two of the greatest causes of stress in life are issues related to time management, number one, and finances, money, number two. This isn't surprising considering how people are doing these days. In 2013, consumer bankruptcy filings were over one million here in the United States. That means today close to 20,000 Americans declare bankruptcy each week. SMR research asserts that 43.7 million households in the United States, that's 15% of the households in the US, have less than $1,000 in liquid assets. And 5% of the households have a net worth of zero or less. So how do people react to such situations? Well. They borrow more money, that's what. Consumer debt has risen to $1.7 trillion and it continues to rise. In a recent survey, 27% of people surveyed by the Los Angeles Times described their personal finances as shaky at best. 40% said they had trouble paying insurance premiums, car payments and other installments on a monthly basis. O'Donnell Olson quipped, the average American is busy buying things he doesn't want with money he doesn't have to impress people he doesn't even like. There isn't an aspect of life that financial matters don't touch. And that's why Jesus spent so much time talking about money and material possessions. One of those times is found in the gospel according to Luke, and I'd like to invite you to turn there with me to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9. One of those times where he talked about finances is here in this particular parable of the unjust steward, the unjust steward, or the shrewd, astute, sharp, smart manager. So here it is, Luke chapter 16, and we'll start with verse 1. There was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was squandering or wasting his goods. 
So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved what to do, that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in, this gener- in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when they fail, you may receive you into everlasting home. That's the story. The story of the unjust steward or the shrewd manager. Now, this is probably one of the most misunderstood parables in the Bible. Many people, when they read this passage, wonder if Jesus is actually commending uh, or speaking well of dishonesty. But that's not at all what he's saying. Instead, in this particular story, Jesus is using a clever crook as an example of kingdom always first mentality. Kingdom always first mentality. Now, when I, uh, when I worked in the restaurant business, and that's, that's just my fancy way of saying that I worked in the fast food industry when I was young, um, we always had this motto that we lived by, and it was customers always first. Now, in Australia, we don't, uh, we don't abbreviate, you know, uh, create a lot of acronyms like we do here in the U.S., but this time we would just, we would call it CAF, customers always first. A team of us always worked by this motto, and it helped us work very, very efficiently. We satisfied hungry customers in record time, uh, kept the premises squeaky clean, we closed shop a lot sooner than most shift teams did And all of this brought in larger profits for the company. Interestingly, most of our team uh, were promoted to managerial positions by the age of 18. The motto, or this motto, customers always first, shaped everything that we did. It helped us make the right decision and it motivated us toward excellence in all things. Kingdom always first mentality, not necessarily customers always first, but kingdom always first mentality within the framework of our walk with God will actually help us do the same thing. So let's understand the parable. First, to understand the parable, who was Jesus talking to? Verse one tells us he was talking to his disciples. And then when you jump down to verse 14, amongst, now Jesus often addressed his stories to his disciples, but oftentimes other people gathered around. And in verse 14, it tells us that some of the religious leaders had come and they'd gathered around to listen to Jesus' story, uh, stories as well. And uh, it's interesting, when we're talking here about the Pharisees, uh, it, it seems as though Jesus enjoyed shocking self-righteous people. Um, he says, you, you Pharisees, you say you're the most religious people in town, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a model. I'm going to give you an example. And your example is a crook, a thief, someone who doesn't, an unjust steward, a shrewd manager. 
So let's unpack this parable. We'll look at verse 1 and 2 again. There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was, wasted his, uh, was wasting his goods. So the rich man got word that this manager, the one who he'd given responsibility over his goods, had mismanaged uh, his goods. And so the, the uh, rich man called this steward and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Now, obviously, the, uh, the, the, uh, the rich man had heard enough and had gathered enough evidence in so much to declare that this manager, this steward, could no longer work for him. But he said, go ahead, get your books in order, give an account of your stewardship. You can no longer be steward. Now, the Bible teaches that God is the owner of how much, friends? God is the owner of everything. And uh, there's no doubt about it. We use nothing on earth that we use is truly ours. We use it for 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and that's basically it. But then we pass it on to somebody else. You never really saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. One day, one day, just as this man in this story had to give an account to his owner, You and I will one day have to stand before God and God's going to ask us what we did with the money he entrusted to us while we were here on earth. In this parable, the man was a crook. There's no way about, no way of getting around that. This crook knew he'd lose his job because of his dishonesty and so he planned a clever scheme. And the next verses describe exactly what he did uh, to get some creditors who owed some money to his boss, and this is what he said. He said, basically, to one guy, how much do you owe? The guy said to him, I owe 800 gallons of oil. And that's uh, basically what a, what is it here, he says? He says a measure. A measure there is about eight or nine gallons. So he's got 100, so 800, 900 gallons of oil. And so the, the steward says, cut the bill in half, and we'll call it even. Then he goes to the next guy, and he says, what do you own? He says, 1,000 bushels of wheat. It was about 10 to 12 bushels per measure. And so he said, well, cut that down to 80, and then we'll be good to go. Now, at the collection, at the, rather, the, the conclusion of the collecting of the funds, the master gives his evaluation. And look at that again in verse 8, and we'll read the first part. So the master commended the unjust steward... Because he had dealt shrewdly. That's very interesting, isn't it? Seems as though he's commending his mismanagement of his money. He commended him. Now, Jesus is not commending this shrewd manager because that's the reason he's being dismissed. He's not commending that. But what he does say is that this man was smart. He was smart. The cleverness with which this man brought his career and conduct to a climax was amazing. And the thoroughness with which he carried out his plan, so worthy of noble objectives, that the rich man could not help admiring the steward's sharpness and diligence. What did the crook do that received the commendation of this particular rich man, even of Jesus? There were three things. First of all, you see that in verse 3. Verse 3, he says, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. The manager saw danger on the horizon. 
starvation, in fact. He saw danger on the horizon. He saw the storm coming. So he looked ahead. That's one thing that he was commended for. He looked ahead. Number two, you see this in verse four. I resolved what to do, that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. That is the creditors you see. They will take me in. This man knew that if he was kind to these debtors, they would be obliged to welcome him when he was out of a job. So he had a plan in mind. That's the second thing. And then the third thing, he acted quickly. He called in each one of his master's debtors and said, and notice his response in verse six, six take your bill and, and do what? Act what? Quickly, sit down, deal with this, let's sit down quickly. So the actor, rather the manager acted uh, quickly and with purpose and intention. So in this parable, Jesus reveals to us or teaches us three very important principles to employ when managing the goods that we've been entrusted with. Look ahead, make a plan, and work that plan now. That's not bad advice, is it? Have a plan, look ahead, and work the plan quickly. Handle, in other words, handle what God has given you wisely. Handle what he's given you wisely. Uh, Plan for the future. Stay within your budget, and yes, you ought to have a budget. If you're earning money, you ought to have a budget. Lay that thing out, live within your means. Stay within your budget. Save for emergencies. Plan for a modestly secure retirement. Yes, you ought to do that. Get out of deadly debt as quickly as you can. That's always a good thing to do. And if you're in trouble financially, deal with it quickly, right away. Don't let it go on. Don't procrastinate. Those are some principles, some things that Jesus says here in order to encourage us to handle and manage his goods wisely. Now, while these are very valuable, practical lessons for us here this morning uh, that we should adopt, the last half of the parable, Jesus makes some spiritual applications, and I'd like to spend the remainder of our time looking at those. So the first lesson that he uh, reveals and that he shares with us is that, uh, or Jesus reveals to us the best use, the greatest use of our time, our talents, and our treasures. Look at verses eight and nine. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when they fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. What is Jesus talking about? In verse 8, Jesus is saying that the worldly wise display more wisdom and earnestness in serving himself, themselves, and promoting their own interests Then does the professed children of God in their service to him and promoting God's interests. Now, to make profits, companies invest a lot of money. They train their employees. They advertise. They, I mean, they do all types. They sit down and they count the cost and they figure this thing out. To make profits, they do these things. They spend. They want, they train train their employees. Smile. Be pleasant with the customer. Go out of your way to show that you care. Uh, Proficiency in the task. Efficiency in work. As in my restaurant days, customers always first. Why? Because companies want patronage. They want their business. They want their what? Money. They want their money. Uh, There's some things that we can learn as a church from a company's enthusiasm. We don't want anyone's money, no, no, no. We want souls for the kingdom, amen? 
souls for the kingdom of heaven. Is there anything we can learn from a company, a business's enthusiasm? There are a number of people here that have their own business. And you are dedicated to making sure that that business succeeds. And Jesus says that the, the, the worldly wise are more wise in their business than the church of God is in handling the most important business in the universe, and that is the salvation of men and women. Man, it's like Jesus throws down the gauntlet. It's like he throws down a challenge, doesn't he? They're wiser out there than us in here when it comes to the work of God. Wow. I mean, think about the commitment and the sacrifice just to make money. Now, Jesus is saying more wisdom, more energy, and more sacrifice is seen in the lives of businessmen and women than is sometimes seen in the church when it comes to winning souls. And no, they're not wiser because they sacrifice relationships to make money, but they're wiser because they're more committed and more determined to succeed than the people of God are. Man, talk about a challenge. Talk about a challenge. Now, verse 9 is interesting. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when they fail, they may receive you into everlasting heart. What is Jesus talking about? What's he saying? Sounds a little strange. Jesus is saying, use worldly, world, worldly wealth to gain friends so that when you get to heaven, they'll welcome you in. What's Jesus talking about? A few things that Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that you can buy your way into heaven. Can't do it. He's not saying you can pay for your salvation. You can't do that either. He's not saying we can bribe God to get to heaven. He's not saying that. Salvation is a free gift and what we need to do is simply what? Accept it and receive it by faith. What's the point then? The greatest use of our resources, this is what Jesus is saying, the greatest use of our resources is to use this temporary resource for permanent good. Yet, yet we can become so engulfed in spending money on ourselves than on those who need to be saved. The point is here, the point is that we need to invest in getting people to heaven. That's it. Invest in getting people to heaven. That's the highest and best use. Jesus said you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings or an eternal everlasting home. Heaven should be full of people that are excited to see you when you get there. Now, not, not that they're going to get there ahead of you. We're all going to get there together. First, uh, first Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 makes that very clear. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We go there together. But when we get there, there ought to be folk that run up to you and say, hey, because of you, because of your time, because of your talents, because of your treasures, you're investing in, in, in getting people to heaven. I'm here. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Heaven should be filled with people who are excited to see you. The best use of our resources is to use this temporary resource for a permanent good. Now, individually, our giving trends need to be consistent with our mission. Isn't that right? If we believe Jesus is coming soon, what's that going to say about where we put our money, where we invest our time and our talents? What does that tell us, you see? There is nothing more important right now, or should be, than getting people ready for the soon return of Jesus. So the first lesson that Jesus teaches us here is that he shows to us the greatest use of our time, talents, and treasures, which is investing it in getting people there. Amen? That's the first lesson. The second lesson, Jesus reveals interest in my checkbook and in my calendar. 
Jesus reveals interest in my checkbook and in my calendar. If you were to check out our checkbook, which you can't, but if you were to check out our calendar, which you can't, but if you were, this should be able to tell you something about Jen and my priority, our family's priority. If we were to survey our expenditures over the last few months, where would you find yourself? How imp- would it show what was important to you over the last several months? Sure. If you were to look over your calendar, would, it find, would you be able to see what was important to you? Would I be able to see what was important to you if I looked at your calendar? Sure. Notice verses 10 through 12 in chapter 16 of Luke. Jesus said, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, and that's just worldly wealth in in earthly money, if you've not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Who will give you what is your own? Jesus is saying that if I'm faithful with what I have, then God can trust me with with more, trust me with more of it. Not just here on earth now, but also an eternity beyond. Some people are anxious and looking forward to getting to getting to spend an eternity with Jesus, but here, here in this world, right here, right now, they're not sure what they ought to be doing for God. They're not because there you're going to be doing everything for God. And they're not sure what they should be doing for God here. Folk want to live forever, but they don't know how to, how to live a day or a week. I can say that spending quality time with Jen is important to me, but if I only squeeze in some focused time here or there, it really isn't a high priority, is it? Well, what we say doesn't often mean a lot. What we do means a whole lot more. They, actions, actions speak louder than words. Likewise, how we spend our time, our talents, our treasures tell something about where our heart really is. In fact, God even uses money to test us. There is a direct relationship in the Bible between what I do with my money and the spiritual depth in my life. That's clear in passage after passage after passage. Number three, Jesus asks for first place in my life all of the time. All of the time. He doesn't, he's not looking for you to just carve out a little time. He's to be number one all of the time. Kingdom always first mentality. Jesus summarizes all of this in Luke 16 verse 13. No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus lays it out black and white or we could say green and white, couldn't we? He is definitely not vague in this verse. Jesus in reality says when you really get down to it, the choice is very, very simple. It comes down to two things, God or money and things. Is there anything in the Bible that teaches us how you can know that God is or has first place? In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 14, you're welcome to turn there. This is our last verse here. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 and 23, there's an answer. There is an answer. Notice what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. Notice what Moses said. You shall, he said, you shall truly what? Tithe all your increase. Look at verse 23. And you shall uh, just jump down to the middle. He says, and the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. 
that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. always. In other words, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Tithing is God's way to help us keep our, keep our mind, keep, keep us focused, keep us on track. Each time we tithe, we remind ourselves that what I have is not mine, it's God's, and we're just managers of it. Each time we tithe, we learn to be generous and unselfish because naturally, we're grasping and selfish. Each time we return 10% to the God's work, we're not, we're not just learning, we're not only learning to put God first in our lives, but we also reveal that he is, he is first in our lives at all times. And this includes giving free will offerings and to the cause of God. There's many different areas in which we can give. Also, how we spend our time and whether we're using our talents to their fullest use in the church are other indicators as to whether we possess kingdom always first mentality. You remember the story of Joseph. Joseph sold into slavery and he basically worked his way up, ended up being in Potiphar's home. And he was a, became a faithful steward. He exhibited those traits of character that endeared him to his master. And so by promoting the masters, his master's interests as if they were his own, Joseph found himself promoted to be the steward of Potiphar's household. Joseph is a good example for you and for I, for me, for me to be stewards of that which we have good stewards, not, not advancing my own interests, but managing that which God has entrusted me as though it were my very own. Stewards, good managers. So how are you doing? How are you doing? Is Christ's kingdom always first in your life? Some might be feeling good about where they are, and that's, that's okay. Just make sure that you're doing the way God asks you to do. Make sure your life is in harmony with his will, as revealed in the word of God. Some here might be saying today, you know, Chris, I need to be doing better. I need to give more time to the service of the Lord, to his church. I need, I need, to, I need to have a little bit of ownership, on the, uh, ownership here at this church. I come and go each week, but I don't really pay much attention to what's going on. I don't really, uh, not really here sometimes if I can be here in the week to try to help tidy up or clean up or do something. for. I need to have a little more ownership. Yes, Chris, I need that. I need to be faithful in my tithes and in my offerings. I know I've slacked off and I need to do better. I need to get back to it. And so if that's you, thank you for being honest with yourself and being honest with God. But don't stop there. Be intentional about the steps you're going to take and immediately start taking them. But the most important thing for each one of us here is to make sure that we're spending time with the one who really loves us and the one who gave himself for us. The truth is that as we bask in the love of Christ, we're going to want to do what he asks us to do. We'll be motivated to do his bidding. As we spend time with the one who loved us all along, we'll be prompted by right impulses and right motives to please him who has done so much for us. From here on out, kingdom always first mentality. What do you say? This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.